Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. Goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Julie White. Julie is a highly accomplished visionary leader with a dual background in corporate, for-profit, and nonprofit organizations. She attributes her success to leading high-performing teams that share a vision of not settling for the status quo, doing what you enjoy, and working together to make a positive and sustainable impact. Her strong diplomatic and relationship-building skills have brought together varying perspectives and objectives to achieve common goals. This includes working with Fortune 500 companies, nonprofit organizations, and government agencies. As the former executive director of Feral Cat Spay Neuter Project in Seattle, Washington, and most recently, senior director of all grants, programs, and field initiatives for PetSmart Charities, she provides a wealth of expertise in the area of community cats and overall animal welfare. Julie, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Stacy, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be a part of your show. How did you get started with cats, community cats and feral cats? Well, you know, it's hard to determine when did you get started in this. Um, Probably like so many people, you didn't realize when you first got started in it. It was probably just, you know, feeding that local cat or um, one of the ways that you acquire your cats is, you know, one of these cats just show up at your door. And I think um, for me, that probably happened probably when I was a young child um, feeding the neighborhood cat and not realizing that I was actually getting involved in the movement at that point. What did you do with that first cat that you met? So the first cat um, that I met, it's kind of an interesting story. I thought that someone had left a very pregnant um, cat at my door. And after working with my sister-in-law, who was a vet tech, um, I said, you know, you have to take this cat to, you know, in and it's going to have kittens any day and I don't know what to do. Um, So she assisted me in... um, I guess, trapping um, this cat through a regular type of, uh, we didn't know about the uh, traps at that point. I didn't. So I had used a regular kennel, um, lured him in. And I say him because I later found out that this was just a very large uh, free roaming cat. Um, So she called me with some good news and bad news from the clinic and said, hey, I have some um, bad news. Um, The bad news is that this cat is not going to have kittens. Um, the good news is that it's just a large male free-roaming cat, and we're able to neuter them and bring them back to you. And that's when I really um, realized how much I didn't know about free-roaming cats and really started getting involved in uh, you know, finding out how many free-roaming cats there were in my neighborhood and making sure that they were all altered so that we didn't uh, continue that cycle. So did that spark you to deal with a whole colony or did you find out about an organization that was in your neighborhood working that colony? So at the time, there really wasn't an organization that I was aware of. Um, Like many, I thought, you know, the best thing to do is you, you know, scoop up these kittens and these cats and you take them to your local shelter and that they're able to place them. Uh, Quickly learned that that was not the case, you know, 20 years ago. Um, So what I started doing at that point was um, talking to my neighbors to see who else had cats and um, making making private veterinary appointments to have them altered. About that time, I was doing volunteer work um, with the local county shelter and really found my passion with starting a nonprofit for the county shelter 
and working around free-roaming cats and educating them as well um, that these cats, the best place is not in the shelter for them. And uh, from then, you know, from that point on, I got more involved in feral cats. Um, and then eventually, uh, when I left my for-profit, um, I spent some time with another organization uh, helping communities across the country in finding out what the biggest need was in their communities. And what always came up was two things, spay-neuter and free-roaming cats or community cats. So at that point, um, that's probably about a year later, Feral Cat Spay-Neuter Project approached me um, and said, you know, we want to take this organization to the next level. Is that something that you could do? And <laughs> learning what I had about the largest need of spay-neuter and free-roaming cats, community cats, it was the perfect opportunity. And that's when I really got involved and started focusing on making a larger impact for the communities through spay and neuter, specifically for community cats. So that you're talking about when you were with the Feral Cat Spay-Neuter Project um, in Seattle. That's correct. And what, what year was that? No, it was early 2000, early 2000, so it was probably around, yeah, 2005, I think, 2004, somewhere in there. So was there uh, already a pretty well-received opinion about community cats in Seattle at that time, or was it still kind of thought of as a new thing? It was still pretty much a new thing. Um, they had, at that time, a visionary, Dr. Christine Wilford, who was a veterinarian, um, knew there was a big need for taking care of free-roaming cats. So what she had did was started a clinic, and it would operate primarily on weekends and do about 100 cats over the weekend um, and quickly realized that there was a growing need. The unique thing about this particular program was that the spay-neuters were free. So there was no fee to the caretakers who were taking care of them. And that was probably what really launched the program was the fact that, you know, so many people who are caring for community cats don't have the resources to be able to alter them. And as a result, they may not be able to get them spayed or neutered as quickly as they need to to get a colony under control. So the unique program there was being able to do other fundraising to increase the number of spay-neuter surgeries that could be done. And it was not uncommon to do 50 cats a day for, you know, four or five days of the week. So as the executive director, you had the interesting challenge of being a fundraiser for that program, correct? That's correct. <laughs> so I know many groups have approached me and said, well, we can always raise money for our adoption program, but raising money for spay-neuter is really very, very challenging. Do you have any specific thoughts on that topic? So I think actually um, raising money for spay-neuter is probably in many cases easier than raising money for adoptions. Um, the reason I say that is there's a lot of funders and organizations uh, for profit as well who are interested in solving the issue. Um, and they see this as being a very proactive approach by doing spay and neuter. So some of the fundraising, you know, that I had done with the Feral Cat Spay Neuter Project was focused around, you know, sponsoring a clinic. You know, you can make an impact by sponsoring a, a day of surgeries. And I think people really understand that they can actually save more lives by altering one cat than they can by doing one adoption. And if you really approach it in that way, um, I think it, you know, people really understand that you can save more lives by doing one spay. Great perspective. And it sounds like you were able to package 
the ask in such a way that it did show it was, it was a better investment. So you may have approached more corporations maybe for that, or was that individual donors too? Um, it was a little bit of both. It was some corporate, you know, involvement as well. But often, you know, you find that one person who's in that same situation that you were in um, and bring them into the clinic and let them really see what is happening there on a daily basis. Um, taking a look at, you know, these cats that are recovering and seeing what's happening, you know, during the spay-neuter surgery and how they are, you know, being released back to leave continue to lead those um, healthy lives that they may have had before they were brought in. I think, you know, there's ways to fundraise from everything from an autoclave to, you know, surgical packs. You can, I had, you know, one of my larger fundraisers was when we made a move to our new clinic was to bring everybody in. And I basically just put what the cost was for each one of those items and how many surgeries I anticipated the life of that particular equipment would be. And when people look at, you know, a surgical pack and realize that, you know, this is hundreds of surgeries that they're going to be able to sponsor by paying for one surgical pack, it's quite easy to fundraise um, with that perspective. So I also work with a lot of smaller groups and sometimes their board has a hard time deciding how to craft their course, whether they are focused more in adoption and rescue, or if they go towards more TNR and helping trap new to return the community cats in the colony. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on some tips or ideas of how a, a smaller nonprofit board might be able to become more effective in their course of action looking ahead. Well, that's a great question. And it's something that um, I've seen quite often where, you know, small organizations have lots of struggles because, you know, one, their resources are going towards caring for community cats. Of course, that's where they want to make the biggest impact. But there are so many other responsibilities that go with being on a board and running an organization. And I think my best advice for these smaller groups um, is to one, you know, really look at what you are best at. Um, You really need to take a full look at your community and determine where is your niche in that. For a smaller organization, you might decide that um, if you're doing free roaming cats, that really what's best for your organization is to help coordinate the trapping and work directly with a spay-neuter clinic. If you are running a spay-neuter clinic, maybe you need to focus on the spay-neuter part only and find another organization who can assist with the other um, requirements around that, such as the trapping. I think what happens is, you know, smaller groups sometimes just get overwhelmed and they try and do too much. It's part of what's in our DNA for our compassion of caring for these cats. But if you can, you know, work within your community and find those other organizations who can assist you, I think you're going to have much better progress. How does one start collaborating with other groups? Um, I think first it's just a reach out. It's just, you know, having the conversation and it doesn't have to be anything formal. Um, I've worked with several communities where it's basically brought groups together who didn't think um, that they could even work together. They, you know, were concerned that, you know, they were competing for funds with the other organizations or that uh, they didn't have the same beliefs as the other organization um, as far as their values. But I think when you're talking about spay-neuter, and if you stay focused on spay-neuter, then really at that point, there you have that common goal and you can really determine what needs to be done in your community. I think each one of us who have worked in a community really know where we need to put our focus and our dollars and our resources. And so I think just having that meeting together, um, and that may be pulling you know, your local 
Humane Society, um, your spay-neuter clinics, if there's private veterinarians who have donated their time in helping, maybe just having that informal conversation to say, where do we really need to focus next in our community? And let's really define our community. Let's not try and take you know the whole state, the whole county. It's like there might be one area where the highest intake is coming from. And can we pool our resources at least for that one area and try and address the issue there? And now, let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide-and-seek with their trap. Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild. So you had the opportunity to fund quite a few programs across the country through your time at PetSmart Charities. I just was wondering if, you know, you were privileged to sort of have one of the highest balconies in the nation looking out across the country with regards to community cats. And I was just wondering, in a snapshot, how do you see community cat programs happening today? And maybe what do you see going down the road five years from now and 10 years from now for community cats? Wow, it's such an exciting time in animal welfare, and, and I was privileged to, you know, lead the largest funder in the country um, in regards to animal welfare. And yes, I did have that uh, view from above to be able to see what was really working in communities and where those challenges were, and then having a staff of, you know, all animal welfare experts was, um, again, just a, a wonderful uh, privilege to have that. And I think what I have really seen, and we probably have all seen in animal welfare over the last 10 years, um, is how quickly things are changing. And who would have thought in our lifetime, although we all hoped, that we would really start to see areas of the country where cats are not always the, not all the cages are always filled with cats and kittens, uh, which is something, you know, we just never would have envisioned probably 10 years ago. And I really attribute that to the acceptance of community cats and the changes that the general perception has on community cats. So I think um, going forward, I, I, am, I am hopeful, um, I am cautiously optimistic that the community cat programs and the trap neuter release and the managed intakes in all shelters across the country will become part of the normal process. I, when I see progressive um, organizations and even communities who are looking for that larger impact, who are now talking about, you know, we're not going to go out and just trap cats and bring them into the shelter because um, we know that that's not what's best for them. And we know that that's an unending circle. What we need to do is trap them, alter them, and then release them back and really manage those colonies so that if any other cats come in, you know, that we get those altered right away. But that is truly what's going to make the difference in our communities. And I I did see that across many areas of the country through the funding um, that we were able to do. I love looking at programs from the balcony. So to, to just even, I just have this picture of you sort of sitting up there, you know, sort of looking all, <laughs> all over the United States, you know, and you can sort of see what's going on. And I would, I bet you probably have one of the best senses of what parts of the country where there are the sort of cat shortages versus the parts of the country that still need a lot of labor and love for the community cats. Do you have any, any sense on those geographic areas? Um, a little bit. I, I think, you know, we've seen, you know, parts of the country as well where there's not enough, you know, dogs um, and puppies. And I think those are probably some of the same areas that have kind of solved their homeless pet issue, which is 
just wonderful. Um, I mean, that's what we all want. Be put out of business where we don't have to worry about, you know, there being too many animals. So I think that, you know, parts of the Northwest, um, as well as, you know, the Northeast and some of uh, the upper Midwest have really done a great job in um, really focusing in on spay-neuter and targeted spay-neuter. And it's those areas that have been able to have the resources to do it that have probably had the biggest, um, you know, change. Seen the same thing down, you know, in, in southern Texas as well for cats and areas where community cat programs have really been implemented and embraced on a regular basis, not just a one-time program. Because again, it really has to be a sustainable program. So you need to address it hard on and really focus in on that one particular area and then just kind of move from one community or one designated area to the next um, and not try and do too much all at once, uh, spread your resources too much. So it sounds like you're a fan of targeted spay and neuter projects. I am. I've, I've seen what they can do and the accomplishments um, that they've made when they are targeted. And uh, I think, you know, again, and it's not hard to get that information. It's, you know, really, again, it goes back to communication working with your local shelters who are taking in the most cats and really targeting in where, what's the focus? Where is that area that needs to be, you know, spay and neuter being done and making sure that the resources are available to the individuals who are caring for those cats. They need to build that trust as well. What are you working on now with regards to community cats or with your professional life in general? As we all know, in in animal welfare, um, there's a lot of compassion that goes into this. So at the moment, I'm taking some um, time off to be with my my family and and my cats. Um, But I am continuing to work on uh, community cats doing trap, neuter, return if I'm requested to do so. I'm also kind of collaborating with some different communities on giving them some advice on how they might be able to, you know, work on some programs and really just that whole communication aspect of looking at communities and doing a total community assessment. And that's specifically uh, focused on community cats or community assessment on a wider scale? Um, Probably on a wider scale, but no matter what community you go into, um, cats are a big part of it. Again, with community cats are always a dear, near and dear to my heart. So it's one of the first areas that I always look at because I think it's an area that we need to address uh, first when you're looking at what resources are needed. For all communities, so much about community cats revolves around people and their situations and their problems and challenges. So anything that we can do to support people and being able to keep their pets is going to help us multiple times over. Julie, is there a a way that people can find you if they have any follow-up questions? Absolutely. I love follow-up questions and I love to help whenever I can. So probably the easiest way to reach me is through LinkedIn. I'm Julie White. And my email is jw.succeed, S-U-C-C-E-E-D, at Gmail. And if they want to, you know, link in with me um, and ask me questions, I'm more than happy to get back to them as um, soon as I can. And uh, always looking, you know, to assist those who have that passion for community cats and looking for the, the next way to assist them. Is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners today? 
I want to thank you for doing this podcast. Um, I think it's so important to get the message out about community cats. And for you know any individual who happens to not know about TNR and community cats and how it all works and how they might be able to assist, I just really encourage them to learn as much as they can and to understand that one person can make a huge difference. And even if it is just spaying that one cat that wanders into your yard that becomes your cat, um, you really do save thousands of lives by doing one spay-neuter. Well said. If there are any resources that you would like to uh, share with us, or you can feel free to email us, and we'd be happy to put them in the show notes if there are certain resources that new folks want to check out, um, we'd be happy to share unless you have a couple of tips you'd like to share at our closing. Um, I would say anybody who's looking to do TNR, there's a fabulous handbook that was written, the TNR handbook by Brian Cordes, um, a known expert in community cats. And I think that's a great resource. It can also be purchased through Amazon, but I believe you can download a copy as well. And that's the TNR handbook by Brian Cordes, an excellent resource for getting started and understanding the basics. Julie, thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I look forward to having you back in the future. I would love that. And thank you again, Stacey, so much for having me and all the other wonderful experts that are out there in helping our cats. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.